0: I was, like, pooping myself with fear. Hello,
1: I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Rossifari. Greetings! Welcome to the first episode of the Ross Safari Podcast. I'm excited to have you here at the start of a new adventure. I want to start off by telling you a little bit about who I am and what to expect from this podcast. As I mentioned in the intro, my name is John Rossi, and I am a professional musician. I'm currently the music supervisor of the national tour of Million Dollar Quartet, a rock and roll musical that was on Broadway and now tours the country. Along with being the music supervisor, I'm also the music director and play the role of Fluke, the drummer. When I'm not on the road with MDQ, I tend to play other national tours or do sit-downs at a bunch of regional theaters around the country. When I'm not on the road, I live right outside of Philadelphia with my partner, Zoe, who is a fourth-year vet student with plans to become a zoo vet when she is done with school. We have a cavalcade of pets including dogs, a turtle, a hamster, a leopard gecko, and a snake. I also spend as much time as possible with my son Miles, who is currently five years old. And it's probably worth mentioning that my favorite animals are red pandas, sea turtles, tree kangaroos, and binturongs. You'll hear a lot about these animals, especially red pandas, from episode to episode. Since before I started touring, I always had a deep love of animals, and I especially enjoyed having the ability to go and see exotic species at zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Growing up in central Pennsylvania, I would frequently visit Zoo America and often travel to Baltimore or D.C. to visit the National Aquarium, Smithsonian's National Zoo, and the Maryland Zoo. I would always try to visit zoos while on vacation to different areas, but when touring came into my life, I really started to make it a point to visit as many animals as possible. So far, I have made it to 134 zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. As a quick side note here, I find it boring and repetitive to keep saying zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities, so I will frequently just say the word zoo when referencing all of the above. As I started visiting more zoos, I got a decent camera and started taking pictures of the animals I would see there. This led to me setting up the Rossafari Instagram account, which is where I'm guessing most of you found this podcast. If not, make sure you give me a follow there as I post daily pictures I've taken of zoo animals from around the country. As my number of followers rose, I started to get to interact with other zoo fans and also keepers and other folks that work or volunteer at zoos. I quickly found an incredible community of people, which inspired the idea for this podcast. And what exactly can you expect from this podcast? Raw Safari is a weekly zoo-positive podcast in which I try to connect my listeners to the animals and people that make zoos work. Most episodes will be a straight-ahead interview with a keeper or someone else at a zoo. Some will focus on one particular species. One episode that is coming soon is built entirely around telling you about one individual animal at one zoo and the impact she had for her species. My goal is to keep it interesting, mix it up a bit, but always keep it focused on the animals and the incredible people who have made it their job to take care of them. This podcast is meant for people of all ages, and I'll make sure to drop any language warnings into future episode intros should I need to. But this isn't a podcast aimed at children. We will discuss topics such as euthanasia and the mating behaviors of animals. We are going to do some serious deep dives into topics, like when we spend two weeks learning about animal nutrition in great detail. You'll not only hear cool animal stories in those episodes, but learn so much about how animal digestion works, and you'll walk away able to use words like duodenum and cecum in your daily conversations with people. Assuming your daily conversations discuss how our bodies ferment the food we eat. You're going to learn about what the AZA is and what the Species Survival Plan is and how it works. Speaking of animals, while there will definitely be chats about fan favorites like elephants and lions and giraffes, there will also be a lot of discussions about lesser-known animals. You'll get to hear about poodoo, kookaburras, flying foxes, which are not foxes, maned wolves, which are not wolves, eye eyes and a personal favorite, binturongs. I recommend keeping a list of any animal names you don't know and looking them up. There are some amazing creatures out there. That's enough about me and the podcast for now. If you want to learn more or find some ways you can support what I'm doing here, make sure to check out the Instagram, at Rossafari, and hit up Rossafari.com. The rest of this episode is my interview with Jake Belair. Jake is an ambassador animal keeper on the show team at the Nashville Zoo at Grassmere. Enjoy the discussion, and I'll be back with some closing thoughts afterwards. <laughs> start with me asking you a little bit about yourself. Tell me who you are, what you do, and all that good stuff.
0: Sure. So my name is Jake Belair. I am an ambassador animal keeper at the Nashville Zoo. So I get to take care of all the ambassador animals. And those are animals that are typically a little more tractable, like a little more handleable. Um, So we're more hands-on with our creatures. And we do a lot with them, training-wise, to get them comfortable around a lot of different people and a lot of different settings. So we can take them out to um, community events, to different programs all around Middle Tennessee, and then a lot of stuff on Grounds as well. So my particular job on the team is on the show team. So I get to help train animals to present on Grounds encounters and shows. Um, with the pandemic, like everything's crazy. And so we're not doing shows this year, but um we had a really good couple shows lined up, so hopefully in the coming years when we're all a little more healthy, uh, we can get back to what we love. Yeah, that would be really great.
1: Now, I know that some people say that doing shows with animals is is problematic or, or immoral, and I don't feel that way because I have a bit of a knowledge of what goes into why you do them and also kind of the perspective that animals have as far as... You know, whether it's mimicking natural behaviors or whether it's something they like to do. But for the people listening who might not know that, can you tell me a little bit about why it's okay and why you're not exploiting animals, which I
0: know you're not. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, I think the first thing that I always like try to tell people is, like, I love animals. and That's why I do this every day. Um, I I wouldn't be doing this if it was like, oh, I don't like animals. I'm just here to exploit them. Like, that's not a thing. Um, I love getting to interact with animals and even more so I like getting to share animals that I love with people. Um, and so that's what like our shows are all about. Is like the biggest bang for our buck is being able to sit 300 people down and talk to them for 20 minutes about why animals are awesome and why they should care about them. Um, but it's much more compelling to talk about hyacinth macaws, for example, if I have a hyacinth macaw out there with me, as opposed to me just like lecturing people. And then the next step from that is it's even more compelling and easy to get people to care about wildlife if that animal's presenting some kind of natural behavior that it would show in the wild. Um, and so I'm not like, we're not training our animals to do like... Uh, circus acts which like we don't even need to get into that um (laughs) we're we're training the animals to show species specific and appropriate behaviors um on cue and like in front of people and there is like an element of that being unnatural because like uh, for example, one of our barn owls is currently learning to fly and pounce on a sound. Um, so we have a little sound machine hidden in one of three baskets, and we always switch it up for her. We bring her out, we play the sound. She has to distinguish which basket it's in, and then pounce on it. Barn owls typically don't hunt in front of people; like they don't—they're not audience hunters. They're not like, "Hey, everyone, come look at me! <laughs> I'm going to catch this mouse over here." Um, so that is like an example of something that's like maybe a little unnatural or like something that like puts an animal outside of its immediate comfort zone. So the way that we do that obviously is starting them when no one else is around. So it's just us and the animal. Um, and really it's all, we, we couldn't do what we do. And like by extension, uh, the folks over at SeaWorld who work with this, uh, all the marine mammals, like they couldn't do what they do without knowing their animals incredibly well. Um, and Having a really strong positive relationship with the animals, and I think that kind of tends to get overlooked when people talk about like, oh, you guys are exploiting the animals. Like, I I understand where people are coming from, but the reality is, my mission, the zoo's mission, most zoos' missions is to get people to care about wildlife and get people uh, kind of encouraged or empowered to do something to help wildlife in need, um, and. A really great way of doing that is connecting people to wildlife through shows and encounters and stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. And that's very different than what people might have seen in Tiger King or anything with the roadside zoos. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I know, even just on Instagram with my, my photo account, uh, I've, I've gotten a lot of private messages and a couple of comments asking why I think zoos are still okay and everything when you are an AZA-specific facility, when you are working with behaviorists and vets and keepers who really care for the animals and are not making a ton of money, are not getting rich. I know none of you at the zoo are rich. <laughs> Many of you Correct. work multiple jobs. Um, and and I understand that. Uh, so just for people listening... There is a big difference between what Jake is talking about, which is working with animals on good behaviors, natural behaviors, things they're comfortable with, and plopping a tiger kitten in someone's lap for a hundred bucks or whatever.
0: Yeah, not great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: not great. I've refused to watch Tiger King because I don't love the uh, exploitation of animals, but it keeps coming up in this podcast, and I'm starting to think I might have to just for the sake of being aware of exactly how bad it was. Because I know just from internet memes and stuff, but... Right.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right.
1: Okay, cool. Um, So you use the term trainer a lot. What is your actual title? Are you a trainer? Are you a keeper? Is there both?
0: Yeah, so I'm an ambassador animal keeper is like my actual title. So... The the primary responsibilities of my job are uh, taking care of the animals, so the husbandry um, of the animals, so just like feeding and cleaning and giving them fresh water and giving them behavioral enrichment and making sure that they're healthy, doing you know welfare checks all the time, all the things that you need to do to properly take care of the animal. Um, and I would say even like just being a, a keeper involves some animal training, some behavioral modification to get your animals comfortable with vet care um, to train animals to like present their feet or their ears or whatever, so that we can look at them and make sure everything's going well and everything's healthy. Um, but then the other part of my job, so like the husbandry is maybe 40% of my day on, um, on average. And then a solid 50% of my day is what I consider like training and and guest interaction. Um, So it's me uh, getting a bird, like we have a a handful of birds that I'm training right now that are kind of new to our program. Um, And so first it's like getting them desensitized and comfortable around me. Then it's getting them uh, to jump on a scale or jump in a crate or jump to my hand. And then it's, can you stay in a crate for 20 minutes and then still want to go back in after. Um, And that's not just like shoving a bird in a crate and being like, see you in 20. (laughs) That's, I literally sit with my knees on concrete floor, waiting for three minutes while a bird sits on a perch in a crate, and then ask them to come back out, and then ask him to go back in, and I sit for four minutes, and it's like a very long, slow process to ensure that the animal is comfortable with it, um, so that they want to do the behaviors and they want to present the behaviors that I'm asking of them, um, and then the like more kind of fun part of the animal training process um, is. When you get an animal that's ready to be in front of people and you get an animal that can sit in a crate for a while, um, then you can kind of figure out what kind of dynamic behavior you want to showcase with the animal. So for our kookaburra, I really like how um, there are like a lot of like memes and videos out there of kookaburras stealing people's french fries and stuff like that. Um, I don't want to give my bird french fries, but she really likes mealworms and that's a healthy treat for her. So I trained her to fly over and snatch uh mealworm from my fingers, which is really cool. And then I can shift that to having a guest stand up and I just tell him like, hold this mealworm out. She's going to come grab it. And then she comes and snatches it. And then that person leaves with a greater sense of connection to the animal. Um, and that's, you know, that's what gives me chills. That's what makes me excited. That's what uh, keeps me coming back every day. Um, and so that's like the training, um, The the bulk of the training that I do um, is getting those animals to a point where they're presenting those natural behaviors um, in whatever setting we uh, are kind of envisioning for them and then getting them to do that in front of people and with people involved.
1: It, it's funny that you said that gives you chills because when you said that, I literally got chills. I have <laughs> I have goosebumps right now. Kookaburras. Um, I'm not a huge bird guy. I'm learning more respect for them, especially talking to people that that keep birds. It's it's yeah. helped a lot. But kookaburras have always had a special place in my heart uh, for some reason, and. The the next time I come to Nashville, I'm hitting you up, and I want to yeah. I want to have have your kookaburra snatch a mealworm out of my hand because that just
0: that sounds magical. Absolutely, she's fun too because like my first idea for her was I wanted her to fly to people's hands because I thought it'd be cool if I just had like a couple guests sit up in our amphitheater and put their hand out and have her go land on them. And she learned that too well to the point where if you were, like, reaching up to scratch your head, she would leave me to go fly to your hand. (laughs) And I was like, okay, never mind. This is, like, it's not, that's not what we want. We don't want her just, like, randomly flying at people. (laughs) Um, So then I changed the behavior to now she flies to a helmet. So now there's, like, a little more buildup of that. But she'll fly to your head with a helmet on it and you can get a kooka selfie which is a, a term we coined, um, and it's really cute to get Adelaide's cute face, you know, in a shot with you right on your head. Oh, so yeah, we can definitely set that up. I am so I
1: I, I that's amazing, and her name's Adelaide. I love <laughs> Adelaide. <that.
0: laughs> yeah, she's great.
1: I think animal names make such an impact on on yeah. getting to know the animal and getting to feel the connection to them. Um, I remember. Have you ever seen the show Community? Yeah. Yeah. The very first episode of it, uh, Jeff Winger is giving a speech and he says, I can name this pencil. And I forget what name he gives it, Bob or whatever, and then tell you that's its name. And then if I break it and all of the other characters go, <gasps> it's like, yeah, now it means something <laughs> to you because of the name connection. And I just thought that was so brilliant. And that's so real, even with animals yeah. like I know that at a lot of zoos, uh alligators and crocodiles are not the most favorite animals of a lot of people but at a a local zoo near me elmwood park zoo there's a there's a gator named penny cute and people love penny and i think it's mostly because her name is penny (laughs) yeah it's a cute name yeah it works it works really well um yeah that's awesome so what what kind what other animals do you have in your care i bet it's I, i assume it's a lot that you must take care of
0: Yeah. So that's like the reason that I've always wanted to work in ambassador animals. I think um, over the years, I've been, you know, in the zoo field since I was like 13 years old volunteering and just like continually doing that. Um, So like for half of my life now, I've been like involved in zoos. And from a young age, I saw like people doing like program animal, education animal, ambassador animal type work. And I was like, that is the perfect combination of things for me. Like people animals connection. Um, and I think like from my perspective around the zoo field, like ambassador animal keepers are not like held in high regard all the time. Cause a lot of times we have smaller animals. Like I take care of chinchillas and rabbits and, um, small things like you would have in your home, a bearded dragon, a corn snake. Um, but I think a, like all animals are equally important in the terms of like the the food web and the the necessity to nature. Um, B, you know, some of those smaller creatures can make an incredibly big impact, and like no animals less important just because they're more common than another. Um, but as far as like ambassador animals goes, you know, the the value in it for me is we have probably 70 some species that I take care of now Wow! in almost every taxa. Like we don't do like aquatic stuff. Um, But other than that, we have birds, we have mammals, we have reptiles, we have uh, insects, we have arachnids, we have a little bit of everything. Um, And so, on any given day, I'm taking care of cockroaches and clouded leopards. And that's like, (laughs) those are equally important parts of my day to make sure our cockroaches are healthy and to make sure our cats are healthy, you know? Um, And I think that's, that's another thing that I love about my job is it's not, we don't, you know, we have, I have my favorites for sure. um, But we hold all of our animals with the same level of like high regard, high respect and, you know, want to provide them all optimal welfare doesn't matter what they are, what value they have. Uh, they're all valuable to us.
1: Right. That's awesome. Um, I want to get into a little bit about what some of your favorites are and stuff if if you don't mind.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. I
1: also, one thing I think is kind of funny is that, um, It seems to me that almost every keeper I've spoken to so far has basically implied that zookeepers are zookeepers because they love animals and don't really like humans. But I'm now getting the impression that education keepers do it because they like animals and (laughs) humans.
0: Yeah, I think there's like a a weird disconnect for a lot of people um, because I think there's no way that you can get into this field and like truly not like people and be super successful because if we can't connect with our audiences and that's like me with a very literal audience, you know, when I walk out onto a stage versus any other keeper at the zoo who has a scheduled keeper talk or is just walking from point A to point B in the zoo and gets stopped by people. That's an audience. Right. Um, and it's, it's our job and it's our, it's our privilege Um, And it's our duty to give the guests a great experience, not just so they come back and give us more money, um, even though that's great, but because we want to inspire the next generation of, you know, conservationists in our world. Um, And we have the unique position to do that. So it's hard for me when I hear keepers say like, oh, I, you know, I, I just don't like people. So that's why I got into animal keeping, like, tough luck. Like you still get to deal with people and you better do it with a smile on your face. I'm I'm like, not about that life. I have some friends who are like very, very introverted who are incredible zookeepers because they realize like, oh, I don't love people, but I realize the value in what I get to do and the opportunities I have to inspire people. And they capitalize on that. So I think that's important to say. That's my little soapbox. Um, but some of my favorite animals, you were asking, um, obviously this changes. I don't know about you, John, but, like, I, like, change my favorite animals, you know, over over the years as years go by. Just, like, how's your relationship with this animal going or whatever? Um, so right now, and these girls have always been in my, my besties. I have two clouded leopards that I take care of, Aww. Hope and Faith. They were born at the zoo on... Uh, at the end of May of 2015. So right after I started at the zoo, um, and I started working with them a couple months after that, um, got to take them home when they were still raising them, um, got to socialize with them a lot, got to train them a lot. Um, And I've been their primary trainer over the years. Um, They're the best cats that I've ever worked with. And they are just like so much fun. Um, And, you know, the perfect balance of charming and sweet and also like incredibly dangerous. And you have to know what you're doing and keep your head about you and like not, this isn't a pet cat, you know, this is a a sweet, but very dangerous and deadly leopard. Right. Um, so those are two of my favorites. Um, I have some birds like an Arasari, which is a little kind of toucan. He was the first animal I trained at the zoo and I've been his primary trainer over the years. So he's another of my favorites. Um, last year I, uh, was injured and when i came back i had to be on light duty so i got the lucky job of getting to be one of the few people who got to hand feed um, and raise our flamingo chicks. Oh, okay. And that was a really fun experience and that's where i met poblano who's a baby flamingo who just like really likes me and i really like him and he's really cute. Oh, that's awesome. What, you said that yeah, was last year? So many. Last year, yeah. Cool.
1: That's when I was at Nashville, and they were just starting to bring the flamingo chicks outside, so I actually got to hang out with them for a little bit. So cute. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, they're
0: such perfect babies.
1: They're so good. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So tell me... Tell me about some personalities. Some of these, these animals. Um, I'd, I'd especially sure. love to hear about the clouded leopards. I feel like not a lot <laughs> sure. of people know what clouded leopards are. And I just recently got to see two clouded leopard cubs at the Pittsburgh zoo that they have. Oh, yeah. Uh, my girlfriend was doing an externship there and she actually got to hold them and stuff. I'm very jealous. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I got to see them through glass and they are the cutest little things. And you're right. They yeah. seem very, very fierce even as they're attacking stuffed animals. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's them. Yep. Yeah, um so yeah, the clouded leopards definitely have their own personalities. Hope is a lot more like brave and outgoing. Um she has no problem like looking at new people and like engaging with them. Faith is a lot more timid and shy and reserved. Um, so I really cherish the relationship I have with Faith because like if anything ever needs to be done with Faith, like I'm the go-to guy because she trusts me and I have a good enough relationship with her that I can literally just scoop her up and carry her where we need to carry her and like, okay, we're we're just going to get this done, girl. Um, both of them are really smart cats and they're really involved in their training. They love food um, and attention. Are their like two biggest things? So those are easy things to um, use to help teach them things and help, you know, foster a better relationship with them. Um, But you definitely see, you know, like Hope does our behind the scenes tours because she doesn't mind leaving her house coming out in front of people. Faith doesn't like not being with Hope, but not enough that she wants to be involved with a bunch of random people. She's like, I'm good. Thank you. I'll look from over here. Right. Um, so that's like, definitely, you know, a personality difference between them. Um, but we see it in a lot of animals, you know, every, every individual is different. We have a, a Binturong Wilbur, who over the years has just decided that I'm his guy. Um, and he's like, very nasty to people he doesn't like. Oh, wow. Like, will run and scream and jump at them and (laughs) lunge and bite. Oh, no. He's very scary because he's a 40-pound carnivore. You know, they can do damage. Yeah. Pentrogs are one of my favorite animals, though, I do have to say. So picturing one
1: being ferocious is just amazing to me right now.
0: (laughs) It's crazy. It's like, it's very scary, um, even when he's not doing it to you, because it's like, you are a big animal, you can do some damage. I have a friend who like had her arm torn up by a binturong one time. Like, wow! Not a, they're not a joke. Um, but he's like a a baby for me. Right. He literally like will just roll over. He doesn't care. Anybody can come touch him when I'm holding him. He just doesn't care. The animals are just so much more complex than people give them credit for. And you, I'm sure you know this from all of your experiences. Like definitely, they're they're crazy. Yeah, that's. Um...
1: Oh that's i can i i'm I'm literally stuck right now on picturing a bintrong because i've I've met and and interacted with a few bintrongs and they've all been super chill but but, like you said, I know that all animals have different personalities, and um i i'm just I literally am just having a hard time picturing a bintrong screaming and attacking, but that's kind <laughs> of amazing
0: yeah i I it's almost legal. wish
1: I could see that. I almost wish I was on the other end of it getting attacked, but not not really I know not really but <laughs> right. yes. I, I one time um, had a red panda climb me. Uh, I was doing a behind-the-scenes thing, and I'm not going to say where because they let me do more than is normally allowed, and, you know, <laughs> and that's cool. But the panda climbed right up my shirt, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever, and then very gently but definitely bit my chin. And I was like, how many humans in the world can say they were bitten by a (laughs) a red panda? And I just remember thinking like, oh, this is amazing. And this is so cool. And oh, good. I'm not bleeding. I don't need a rabies shot. But like,
0: (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) die.
1: It was not what I expected to happen. And it makes me happy, but kind of in that stupid way of like, I probably should not be happy about this but (laughs) (laughs) that's fun yeah different different animal personalities are are really incredible so tell me a little bit about how you got into this position you said you started volunteering at 13 and and you're in your mid-20s now right
0: yeah yeah um i started at my local zoo back home in northeast ohio the akron zoo
1: i love the akron (gasps) zoo yeah it's so
0: amazing yeah it's such an incredible zoo Um, And so overlooked because you have, you know, Toledo and Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Columbus all around that are Mm -hmm. bigger. But Akron just is a jewel. Small
1: zoos that do an incredible job are some of the most powerful zoos that I have visited.
0: Yeah, Yeah, just impactful and beautiful and so worth the trip, so worth everything. Um, so I started there in the education department and I, I knew that I wanted to do more with animals. Like a lot of zoos have education departments that have like an ambassador animal or an education animal collection, but it's typically smaller stuff, um, like your rabbits and your chinchillas and your snakes and stuff. Um, and I knew that, you know, I wanted more than that. And Akron had a really nice, it has a really nice ambassador animal program where they have some bigger animals and some more difficult animals to work with and that, presents a great challenge to me as, like, a someone interested in animal training. Um, so from Akron, I moved down to the Columbus Zoo and did a couple seasons of work there in their animal programs department.
1: Now, was that still as a volunteer, or was that
0: as—when
1: did you, like, turn pro?
0: I got paid when I turned 18 at okay. the Akron Zoo and did a season there as an interpreter, so I got to handle ambassador animals and, like, go talk to people out on the path, and um, and then I kept doing paid positions at the Columbus zoo and it very same idea. Like we did shows, we did encounters, we did programming. Um, and then I, uh, went out to, uh, California to work for, Uh, A wonderful little rescue zoo Called Conservation Ambassadors um, Also known as Zoo to You And there they like take in A lot of wildlife that needs A home, they work a lot with like Fish and wildlife services to take in Confiscated animals Um, There's some like Ex-celebrity pets That live there now Um, And like everything There from camels to bears To eagles to Gila Monsters Um, so that was a really cool summer of working with them and getting to like learn more about, you know, dangerous animal care. That's like more protected contact versus like the free contact work that I typically do with ambassador animals. Um, and then when I graduated from college the year after that, I was lucky to land a job here at the Nashville zoo right out of college. And I, um, moved down here on my graduation weekend I skipped graduation to come here wow um, to start my new job because I was so excited yeah that's awesome I love when people are that passionate yeah I was like bye everyone thank you <laughs> <laughs> where did you go to school I went to a little school called Malone University in okay. Canton Ohio okay cool and uh, what did you major in Zoo and wildlife biology oh wow major. okay
1: yeah. I you don't hear of many like zoo specific um you know majors that's really cool
0: yeah, it was nice that it was like close enough to home that I could keep uh, volunteering at the Akron Zoo and interning there um, during the school year, and then be able to get this cool education that was like tailored to what I wanted. That's awesome. And then, why did
1: you end up moving to Nashville? Is that just where the job was, or?
0: Um. Yeah, I had I was fortunate that I had enough mentors to like get me set up to succeed in terms of, like, having enough experience right out of college um, and then telling me, you know, like, you really should start looking for jobs in January of the year you graduate. And so I probably applied to, like, over 70 different jobs pre-graduation and, you know, did as many interviews as I could get and, you know, then had a handful of job offers, some seasonal, some part-time, a couple full-time. And then I was, like, fortunate enough to be able to be like, okay, no, I want ambassador animals. I had uh, taken a road trip down here to Nashville for my, like, interview in person. We, like, drove the eight hours down here one day, had the interview the next morning, and drove back. Nice. Um, Yeah. And I was like, I want to work with this collection of animals. Like, at the time, we had to, like, 50 species of animals, but we still had, you know, we had lynx, we had serval, we had some, some really cool animals. Um, the cool to me, like ones that I was like, oh yeah, I want to continue working with those species. And that really brought me here. That's awesome. That's such a great story.
1: What, what is an interview like for this kind of position? Because I think most people, again, most people listening, you know, don't work at a zoo. And so most people picture an interview sitting at a table and going over your resume and answering questions. Is that what you do? Or is it more more hands-on? Or
0: I've had interviews like that. Um, and that's certainly been part of most every interview that I've been to. It's just like kind of like logistical questions. Um, but especially for like keeper uh interviews like a lot of times there's like a working interview where we can like see like how do you squeegee like are you good at (laughs) squeegee do you do you work with haste like do you you know move quickly like you know like we have other things to get to and you don't have time to like uh you know kind of stroll along here we gotta like speed it up um so that's like what what I like kind of grew up doing, you know, with the uh, volunteering at the Akron Zoo. It was just like helping people and doing whatever I could to like, you know, help and be wanted there, you know? Um, and so that is very much like uh, instilled in me and like definitely a part of interviews that I've had and interviews that I've observed while here. Um, a lot of it for ambassador animal folks, um, this is like A combination of an educator position and a keeper position. We do way more keeping than typical educators, but also way more educating than typical keepers. So we're like, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm an animal keeper. And I think like ambassador animal keepers kind of get the we're we're like low on the hierarchy list because people always are like, oh, you know, big animal keepers and dangerous animal keepers. They're real keepers, but like ambassador animal keepers aren't. And I'm like, mm, I am, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also like to love the education side of things. And I think like educators at zoos are what move our mission along and, you know, carry our message to everyone. Like we couldn't have zoos be effective if we didn't have amazing educators out there. So um for this interview here I like uh had to grab a random stuffed animal and do like a 5 minute impromptu chat about it and tell them <laughs> you know I they were like you can pretend it's something else or you can pretend that you're actually talking about this teddy bear or whatever just like talk to us and like present like you would normally present. Um There's a lot of, yeah, a lot of random stuff like that that's just like, can you interact with humans in a way that's engaging and dynamic? And that is important to being able to talk to the masses, for sure.
1: Definitely, no, that's really cool. And that makes a lot of sense that they're, they're looking for that. It sounds almost like it's a, an audition more than an interview.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been to interviews that feel a lot more like it's an audition. <laughs> um, this one was definitely a kind of mix of a both
1: that's cool do you do you have any background in performing or or teaching or anything outside of i mean you've been in zoos your whole life but you know in in general outside of the zoo
0: of Not particularly. I was lucky, I guess, in that like when I was young and I had started volunteering, I was like, this is what I want to do. And so I just tailored all of my extracurriculars towards that. So, you know, in high school, I did like theater stuff, but just like behind the scenes work, I wasn't really into like acting per se. Um, but like set crew and stuff like that I was really into. Um, And then in college, I got to help, you know, build a collection of ambassador animals at school um, with uh, my friend Karina. We like co-chaired our like education division and we went out to local schools with our animals to teach them about the animals. Um, I worked at a local um, nature center with their non releasable birds of prey and took them out to talk to guests. So like, I just like made sure that I had as much experience interacting with humans as possible and that has really been invaluable because i have a lot of experience to lean back on even as young as i am i can still you know think back to like okay this happened this one time and like how did i deal with that to like get through to these people to like let them know that like snakes are cool they don't have to be terrified like they'll be okay you know that's like a a very real thing that we have to deal with every day. Definitely,
1: yeah. I, I actually have a whole episode that I just recorded yesterday um, where I had a, an exotics expert uh, basically walk me through an imaginary uh, reptile house and and tell my listeners why to not be afraid and why, why they should be interested in you know snakes and tarantulas and, and all the, the scary but awesome things. So I'm hoping that yeah. will help people look at reptile houses in a, in a new way. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool but so let me ask you this then i'm guessing that some people who are going to be listening to this are people who are interested in a, a zoo career and i know um i don't know how much you've you've looked at my profile but i'm a, a touring drummer and mostly work in theater um and i'm like you i knew what i wanted to do from an early age i worked my butt off. I, you know, was willing to forego other hobbies and other things. And and that's how I achieved my career. And that's cool. But I also know that sometimes when I tell that to people who are trying to make it, they're discouraged. Certainly. Because they don't have, you know, more than half of their life spent rehearsing for you know this gig um what advice or what recommendations would you have for somebody who hears this podcast and is like wow I want to be Jake but I am 30 years old and I have never set foot in a zoo outside of going to visit like I've never volunteered I've never you know never even had a pet whatever what what can that person do
0: yeah um a part of the game with any profession really is like who you know um, so use that to your advantage and build contacts. Um, the The game is also all about experience. So as much um, volunteering, interning that you can do to, you know, build up your skill set within the field is just like very beneficial. And, you know, through volunteering and interning, you can um, build rapport with keepers, with educators, with staff at the zoo. And that's a really great way of doing it. Um really just like getting your foot in the door in any way you can. Um, I have a friend who's an incredible keeper over at the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. And she always told us a story when she started working at the Animal Encounters Village when I did at the Columbus Zoo. For two or so seasons prior, she had been working at the food stand right across the path. And she always like looked at us while she was filling snow cones and was like, I want to do what they're doing. And she did, you know, she built up the the credibility by doing that um going to school for a biology degree or zoology degree um and then you know getting her foot in the door and coming over and saying hi i want to do this like how can i do this um and they were like why don't you start by being a seasonal employee with us and she was like okay you know so those seasonal jobs those internships that are like foot in the door type things like unfortunately that is like the the stepping stone you can't um just come in and be handed a clouded leopard cub and be like, here you go, like, have fun. Um, you got to be willing to do the the work for it, which I think most people expect. Um, but I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, applying and interviewing. Um, another one of my friends has an art degree and she applied to a, a, an animal programs type job on a whim. She just was like, that kind of sounds like a fun thing to do for the summer. And they weren't requiring a lot of experience, and they liked her personality, and they liked what she brought to the table. She's now an incredible animal trainer, no you know, formal education about it, but has been in the field for eight years now. Wow. And she's so skilled at what she does um, just by starting when she was, I don't even know how old she was, but like a complete pivot from her previous path and just going for it. So I think if you want to do it it from my experience what I have seen is you you just have to commit you just got to go for it. Makes sense. Being driven and being
1: passionate seems to be the uh the underlying thing for any challenging career, you know that I have found. Certainly. So that's really cool. Um I love that. What is next for you? Um
0: you know, the pandemic aside just like continuing uh you know, like, progression at the Nashville Zoo is kind of what I'm excited to do. We um, just opened our new Ambassador Animal Building um, earlier this year, which Ooh. kind of helps us, I would say, grow our collection. But, like, we were growing it before we even had the footprint for the building. You know, we're <laughs> <laughs> just, like, always finding uh, places to give animals homes. Um, so, uh yeah, we we can kind of flesh out our collection more. We added our flamingo flock. We um, just added a pair of caracals to our collection, and we're raising them right now.
1: They are adorable.
0: Yeah, they're so cute, so right? Cute. Yeah. Um, we have a hornbill on the way. Um, yeah, and then I think what we have penguins coming down the road for us, which will be really exciting, um, and some jays. And so I'm like all about milestones. Um, And so I'm like looking forward to like, okay, I don't want to leave. I'm happy where I am. I'm looking forward to the next thing. Um, I want to see myself grow as a trainer and as a leader. Um, And the National Zoo being a really young zoo and a really quickly growing zoo is a great place to do that. Um, We have a great team of educators, of animal keepers, of animal health staff and everybody else um, so I'm just, like, grateful to be a part of the process as it is now. That's awesome. Tell me about the new building. Um, so our new building was built with certain species in mind and then some, like, slots for just, like, whatever comes along. Um, with ambassador animals, a lot of times you're you're like, I kind of know that I want these kind of five species, but I'm not sure how feasible it will be to get these. And then all of a sudden your bird curator calls you and he says – Hey, I have a hornbill chick um, that can't be placed elsewhere. Do you want it? And you're like, great, we have space for it. <laughs> um, so, that is a great part of this building. Um, another great feature is we built it with different climate zones in mind. So, instead of just like having a big building with like one HVAC system, we have three. Oh, that is so cool. Um, so, we have different climate zones, so different humidity levels, different heat, um, cooling. Yeah, it's, it's, really really nice <laughs> I don't
1: know if that's a normal thing at zoos but I've never heard of that that's really cool I like that yeah a lot. my
0: my curator Jack uh, she had the forethought to be like we need to like not have to have 18 different humidifiers and extra heat bulbs and you know all these right. different things to keep each animal comfortable be like what if we grouped animals together by where they would be found and what kind of habitat they need and then we have that to go off of which is real nice um yeah so it'll be really cool the the penguin uh enclosure is on hold for now so that'll be like in a, a couple years um, but it's nice to spread big animal acquisitions out um and since we don't have penguins currently on exhibit at the zoo um I think that'll be a really big thing for the zoo once we get them you know in a couple years Very cool. So it's a it's a cool building. It's fun. That's really
1: cool i love I love hearing about things like that i'm yeah, I'm really excited about the 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 triple climate thing too that's just it's it seems so basic and obvious, but it yeah, I've never heard of it that's great
0: it's it's way cool and they they did the like the skylights, so all the animals have like a natural photo period, which is a huge deal um and the best part is the floors all slope properly to the drains, which is like the <laughs> zookeeper dream it's like you'd think that. That would happen all the time. Shocker, it does not happen usually. Usually, you know, you're pushing water 10 feet uphill to the drain. But they really did a great job sloping these floors.
1: That's really cool. Um, The last thing that I have to ask you, I just I like to ask this every time, is tell me a funny story or an embarrassing story or, and, and not necessarily about you, but, but about an animal or just, just something, you know, and if you have more than one, I'm here for it. Tell me a couple, because (laughs) I think nothing is more important than hearing, you know, people hearing about these animals and, and again, realizing they're individual and realizing that there's something special about, you know, one Binturong or like we talked about, (laughs) you know, Wilbur or, or, um, one Kookaburra, whatever. So sure. Yeah. If you have any other stories, I'd love to hear them.
0: Sure. Um, Adelaide the Kookaburra has plenty of fun stories. She um, came to the zoo as a chick from San Diego Zoo um, and had been hand raised by one person and then went through quarantine, which is a pretty like solitary process because we want to make sure that animals coming in don't have diseases or bacteria or whatever that they can give to the rest of the collection. So when she came to us um, in the behavioral husbandry department, she was like a little neophobic. She's like, not really interested in a lot of stimuli kind of scared of loud noises and new people and new animals. Um, so I had to put a lot of work with her, you know, in the front end of things, just like getting her comfortable with like me wearing my glasses in a certain way, or like me wearing a hat or, um, me wearing a different colored shirt. Those were all like things that would trigger her to freak out. Um, so it was just like all about reading her body language and like working with her really calmly. Um, cut to now, two years later. And this is a bird who, um, last fall when we were flying her outside, you know, she's so confident now. She just like flies all over the zoo um, and then comes back to us when we call her, gets her favorite tidbits and then takes off again. It's a really great way to show off, you know, how kookaburras can fly, how comfortable Adelaide is. Um, It's great exercise for her and great, you know, mental stimulation for her. Um, But, you know, we have natural predators around that we're watching out for. So usually when I go out with Adelaide flying, I like to be the like spotter. And so I orchestrate like where I'm going to call her and where I'm going to move her to. And then I like to have my binoculars with me in case she flies real high or if there's a bird of prey circling high above that I can like make sure that it's not something dangerous. Um, So one day she was just like not not wanting to come back down to me. So she kept climbing higher and higher up in a tree. And at one point she was like 60 feet up. <laughs> and I was like, not nervous, but also not super comfortable with that. Um, That's like definitely something that we train for. That's, you know, we don't take our birds outside to fly until we're completely confident that we will be able to, um, encourage them to come back down to us and that they want to come home when they're done. Um, But that day, Adelaide just wanted to do her own thing for a bit. And, you know, that's fine. Well, a Cooper's hawk or a sharp-shinned hawk, one of the two, came by. um, And that's like a bird eating bird. And they, you know, will hunt smaller things. And, you know, the reality is Adelaide's pretty much their same size, but she sits a lot more still than other birds. So it was like, Was that an easy target for them? I'm not sure. Well, this bird buzzed past Adelaide. Instead of freaking out, Adelaide decided that she did not like that. And she chased after this hawk. (laughs) Oh, no. So then, John, I kid you not, I was, like, pooping myself (laughs) with fear. I was like, what are you doing? I was, like, screaming, Adelaide, Adelaide, what are you doing? You know, just, like, I never lose my calm. When I'm flying birds, it's something I pride myself on. I just, like, I process and I, you know, internalize a lot of my emotions. And I'm just like, okay, well, now we're going to go do this. Not that day. I was (laughs) freaking out. I was like, why are you chasing after a predator? (laughs) So I follow her. She flew so far away after this hawk and then was 80 feet up in a tree, which is, again, higher than she'd ever been. And sat up there for about 15 minutes, just like looking around. And she was like, angry, John. She was like, How dare this hawk come try to eat me? She just kept like hopping around on the branches, like really hard and heavy, and just like looking, looking. And then I was like, Right about to call it and be like, Y'all, like, you can leave me. You know, my teammates had come out to, you know, help spot for her when we lost sight of her. And I was like, y'all, you can can go. Like, I don't think she's going to move from here, but I don't think she's coming down anytime soon. Lo and behold, this bird just starts fluttering down and just flutters all the way down to my hand and then just sits and, like, looks at me like, what next? (laughs) And that's my girl, Adelaide. She is just one incredible bird
1: that's amazing i love that so much
0: yeah she's (laughs) fun she's a good girl uh i look
1: forward to getting down there and meeting
0: her at some point absolutely i'd love to introduce you yeah
1: man awesome well thank you so much for doing this thank you i appreciate you yeah thank you i appreciate you man i really do i said it at the end of the interview and i'll say it again I really appreciate Jake and all the incredible information and stories he shared in that interview. You can check him out on Instagram at Z-O-O-K-P-R-J-A-K-E and on Twitter at Zookeeper Jake. If you haven't been to the Nashville Zoo and are ever in the area, I highly recommend it. Also, make sure to check them out at NashvilleZoo.org or on Instagram at nashville zoo. Our podcast is going to spend the next two weeks there as well, talking to Melinda Kamavangza, another keeper with a very cool job at the zoo, one I didn't know existed until our interview. I'm looking forward to sharing it with you all. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rasafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rasafari, on the web at rasafari.com, or email me directly at rasafaripod at gmail.com. Now stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.